Welcome everybody to today's Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass. This is a, a weekly event that I do and I give you updates on what's going on with the markets, particularly in property. Why do I do it? Because I want you to be more intelligent. You see, when you, uh, when you know more about the market, you are able to make better decisions. And when you make better decisions, you get better results. So let's get into it for this week. Now, I've been getting a lot of questions about my whereabouts. <laughs> well, I'll let you know. Uh, some time ago, we decided to take our boat. This is actually an actual picture of our boat you can see there on the screen. It's, uh, th that's a Photoshop of, of, well, it's not Photoshop, it's a photo shoot of the boat. Um, but it's not quite that tidy at the moment, so I'm not going to let you see the real boat. <laughs> And we decided to sail up the east coast of Queensland. We're actually sitting at the top now in Thursday Island, so I've got good internet. I've been on the on the uh, the economy and the news and everything else that's been going on for the week. So I uh, just thought I'd let you know all that. If you're if you're seeing the pictures, you can see it. If you're not, you're listening to me on Spotify or on iTunes. Now, if you are on Spotify or on iTunes, I would really love you to go across to my website, iloverealestate.tv and get all of my charts and my slides and my research because I've got a massive team behind me who uh, does all the research for me on everything that's going on. This is the stuff that you don't hear on mainstream media. Um, since I've been on the boat, I've been actually listening to a little bit of the, the news and things like that. And it is astounding to me how little they actually report of what's going on and what matters. And particularly what matters in the property market. Because as you know, if you've been listening to me for any length of time, you will realise that I'm incredibly biased towards property and I make no bones about it. <laughs> so let me share my screen and I'll share with you what we're going to go through for the masterclass. Let me just go here and there and we'll get into the masterclass. All right. Now, what are we doing this week? All right. Well, some of the things I'm going to be covering is the RBA for starters. Now, why is the RBA printing more money than we actually think? And there's been a lot of talk about that. When's it going to end? All those sort of things. Well, I've got all the goss for you. Why are exports booming? You know, we're supposed to be in a pandemic and a recession we've come out of and, and everything's gloom and doom according to the mainstream media. Well, guess what? It's actually not. And why there's fewer applicants uh, for the, all the job ads that are out at the moment than ever, ever in the recorded history. I want to talk you about where rents have fallen by 20% over the past 12 months. Not that anyone would think that that was the case. And where they've gone up by more than 20%. That's more what everybody's tuning into. But I've got big news to share. We've had a huge week on the financial front. So let's have a look at what's going on. The RBA came out, the Reserve Bank of Australia during the week. And they were talking about that they were going to shrug off shutdowns to slowly unwind quantitative easing. Now, as you know, quantitative easing is printing money, which, which let me just explain a little bit. Now, I know I've covered this before, but I think it's important to understand. What happens is the government needs money. It needs money for, um, for handouts, for job seekers, all that, I don't know what's finished now, but money going back into the economy. And it hasn't got it. So what does it do? It goes to Reserve Bank of Australia. Reserve Bank of Australia turns on the printing presses and printers print some money. And they exchange that money with the government for typically bonds. Now those bonds have a maturity date 
way out into the future with an interest rate return to the Reserve Bank of Australia. Now, there are also listed uh, for other people to buy. A lot of oh, super funds and countries buy these bonds because Australia is seen as a very safe country for uh, you know for financial matters and repaying their debts and all of those sort of things. So uh, they buy these bonds, which means the government's now got money. It then spends it on all the infrastructure and, and supplements and everything else that they put out. Um, and that's how it works. So the, the Reserve Bank of Australia has been printing money or quantitative easing to the tune of about $5 billion a week. Now that's a lot of money. And they were going to wind that down by November. But they have decided not to do that, and this was announced during the week, that the quantitative easing at the moment has come up to $237 billion, increasing by $5 billion a week. Well, they've cut that back. It was going to finish, as I said, in November, but that's not now going to happen, and they don't have an end date. They brought it back to $4 billion a week. Now, you might think that's still a lot of money, and it is. But it's, you know, it's a slip down in the, in the right direction. But the key issue here is that instead of stopping it when they said they would, they have left it now open-ended. And they've set a few criteria as to when they're going to stop it. The first criteria is when unemployment, our unemployment figures hit the mid fours. They also want to see employment growing at around about three to four percent. And they'd like to see uh, inflation in the target range of 2 to 3%, which is a good range to indicate a nice, steady, growing economy. And when that happens, they will then stop the quantitative easing. So in other words, and this is what they've, they've said in their statements, the RBA, is that in their words, they've come out and said that their, um, that their response at the moment is open-ended, the quantitative easing is open-ended, and state dependent. Hmm. So it is very much about who's doing what, who's in trouble, who's not. It's not going to be blanket support like we've seen when COVID first hit. Now, something else has been very interesting come out during the week is the fact that APRA has told the banks to get ready for negative interest rates. Now, it doesn't set interest rates. APRA is the governing body that controls the banks. And it was the one that caused all the trouble back in 2017 when it squashed the banks and stopped lending and killed the economy. And I'll show you some figures to prove that in a minute. But they're now going and saying, look, please, banks, you've got to get yourselves ready because we could go into negative interest rates. Now, this is something that I didn't think would happen. And I'm still a little bit cautious on it. But could we go into negative interest rates? Look, we could. Other countries have. And if you look at my slides there, you can see that some of the other countries that have gone into negative interest rates, which is basically just a benchmark where their Federal Reserve or their, um, you know, their governing banks come out, uh, their governing uh, federal uh, banks come out like the Fed Reserve, etc., and say, central banks, that was the word I was after, uh, and say that the benchmark is now X. Now, ours is sitting at the moment at 0.1%. Um, but countries like Japan, Sweden, Switzerland, Denmark, the Eurozone, China, India and the United States have all had periods of time, if not still in periods of time, of negative interest rates. So it's just something to watch. Um, interest rates will go up eventually, but I think we've got a long term of low interest rates as we see them at the moment. And that's really what the Reserve Bank is saying and why APRA has tipped off the banks to say, hey, listen, we could even go lower. 
my thoughts, as I say, I don't think the, that um, the reduction in interest rates is going to be the Reserve Bank of Australia's first point of call. What they generally do is they will go into quantitative easing as their first option. And um, I still hold to that. I still think that that will be what will um, will stabilise the economy and everything else rather than dropping interest rates any lower. I mean, dropping interest rates really only helps um, those who are borrowing. Well, if you can't borrow, it doesn't help the economy and a big percentage of the of the economy is not in a position to be able to borrow and take advantage of the low interest rates. That's why quantitative easing is really the go. So what's happening now in the Australian economy? All right, well, whew, we've had um, another big month of trade. Look at this, the Australian trade, our balance of trade is nothing short of amazing. We are doing very well. You can see a big high there again um, with the, the last lot of reportings. And this is all despite what China is doing to us. Look, in the bigger picture of things, I think the whole shake-up with China is not a bad thing for Australia because it gives us the opportunity to diversify and chase the markets. I think we got very fat and lazy from an economics perspective for a while there. And uh, this has really given us a shake-up and we're performing very, very well. But I'm really, really, really super, super excited about this. Now, these are the figures that came out in June. And what they show is that we are up and going from a manufacturing perspective. Now, this is something that I've been on about for years, decades even, that we need to have more manufacturing back here in Australia. In fact, I was talking to one of my crew here um, on uh, just the other night about steel. Now, he's involved in the steel industry. He's got his own business. And I said to him, look, you know, we... Um, I, I still don't get it when steel or steel manufacturing is such a capital intensive industry, why we ship our iron ore over to China and the like, they turn it into steel and we buy it back at 15 times the price. Well, <laughs> that's exactly what's happening, but it's turning, it's turning slowly. We need to get this back. Back in about the, oh gosh, I think I'm going back to about the 1970s. Now, I'm not really that old, but I do have been following this stuff for a long time. Uh, we signed a treaty. Now, this was a very dangerous treaty. It wasn't seen so at the time, but i tell you what it is. And what it said was that all of the Western countries, the G10, I think it was, not the G7, no, the G10 it was, um, might even be the G20, signed all of these uh, this treaty to say that we would, um, we would initiate the poorer countries, and of which China was one at that stage, the underdeveloped countries, which China was one at that stage, to uh, take over a lot of our manufacturing where it's more economical and on a worldwide basis, one world, all that kind of crap, um, then we would end up with uh, you know, a, a, a more economical world. Well, that's not very good when you've got someone in China that wants to throw stones at our glass house that we have over here. So, you know, we caused it, or the, the G20 caused it around the world. China's the one that's really run with it. And, uh, you know, when you've got a communist country with communist rules, then, um, you know, they can, they can change at any time. And that's what we're seeing right now. So this is a good thing. I'm actually seeing this as a major positive that we're taking control of our manufacturing. I really would like to see steel as a number one brought back into the country because, you know, we can't be competitive from a labour perspective. Uh, their wages are cheaper, end of story. But we can be, uh, can be competitive when we have 
um, a, a capital intensive industry like making steel. It's capital intensive and our steel's better. We have better regulations. I was, uh, I was also talking to this crew member about, oh, he was talking about dozers and he was talking about the steel that was in, um, in dozers when they first uh, started to import from I can't remember where it was. I think it was, it might have been, might have been Korea. I'm not, no, it was India. And uh, how these particular dozer, they were great, they were cheap, they were whatever, but the steel didn't last. And within a, a very short space of time, that no, was China actually, um, the, uh, the dozers were had it and the steel didn't hold up and all this kind of stuff. It's big warranty issues and whatever. Because, uh, you know, we have a different climate here and we have different requirements. And, you know, our heavy mining industry is something that it requires some heavy duty stuff. And I don't see why we're not making it here. Anyway, that's my little, that's my little soapbox for the, for, the, for the week. So when we look at this chart, this is what we're seeing. This is how you can see here the manufacturing index you can see there um, is, uh, is well and truly up. In fact, we are higher than we have ever been in the 2000s. Um, we would have to go back to probably, probably the 80s to see the levels of manufacturing up where we are now. Now this is seasonally adjusted and it is, you know, it's showing you there the percentage change. So, you know, we're not as high as we have been, but we're heading in the right direction. We've had the biggest turnaround in um, incentives about manufacturing in Australia. And that's where I believe the quantitative easing money should be going into creating long term, sustainable manufacturing back in this country. And I don't think there's any proud Australian that would disagree with me on that front. Consumer sentiment has come off its highs uh, that we had a little earlier with these recent breakouts break and break, uh, lockdowns and whatever, but it's still high. In fact, we're way up where we were um, uh, towards the end of GFC and uh, you know back into the, uh, the 2000, 2006 and things when things were very, very buoyant. So back in the, in the right direction there. And this is basically why. Our jobs are great. Oh my goodness! You know, there's the job vacancies, uh, or the those that are um, available for ads. Basically, is what I'm saying. Ads are up, and we don't have as many people applying for the jobs. So you know, look where we are compared to where we've been right back to 2005. We've got more jobs available now that aren't being uh, aren't being met by employees than we have in a well, nearly two decades. And that's being repeated right across the board. So this has been put out by Seek, which is one of the major, uh, you know, job advertising online agencies. And you can see there the, the applicants per ad have come down and the job ads have gone up. So we've got this massive discrepancy. So it's definitely a job seeker. Um, time to be around at the moment. And there's others that are saying the same thing. This has been put out by Macro Business, which follows the, um, the, the businesses very, very closely. And you can see there that this is the, the lowest job seeker per job ad that we've had in, uh, well, in this case, three, four decades. Um, it's, it's lowest we've seen in, in recent history. And this should translate to wages growth and general activity going forward. So that's something that is is in line with what the RBA is looking for because one of the major factors of having an inflation rate of somewhere between two to three percent is jobs have to go up as well. Not just house prices, but jobs, job and job uh, wages have to go up. 
And that's being played out right around the country. You can see here New South Wales, uh, you know, massive, massive um, difference there. And you can, you can see that it's the lowest it's been again for a couple of decades. Um, this is Victoria, same sort of story, not quite as low. Queensland, same story again. Um, and WA. WA is probably buck, buck, bucked the trend a little bit um, in that it isn't as good as it was back in uh, the end of GFC. And the reason for that is because of the mining boom that was going on at that time. South Australia, very similar story. So what that... What is that? can't speak this today, I'm, I'm getting all excited about the, all these figures. Uh, what does that translate to when we talk about the property market? All right. These are, now this is an interesting chart. I haven't shown you this comparison before, but this shows you house prices and how much they've increased since their pre-COVID highs. I've been showing you plenty of figures as to how prices have gone since COVID started. But this is very interesting because what it shows is how much houses have gone up from their previous high. And in a lot of cases, like Sydney as an example, um, the, the high was back in 2017 because that's when APRA got involved and started to cool the markets. And you see that translate right across the board. Now, Perth is down and Darwin is down. Now, the reason for that is because they had some massive highs with the mining boom. Um, and that's translated into WA regional as well. But across the board, we're talking $70,000. In Sydney, we're talking nearly $100,000. So, you know, you start to put that into perspective and, and uh, you know, it's, it's really something that is very encouraging. And what it really shows is that we're catching up to perhaps where we should be anyway. So this isn't a boom, it isn't a bubble, it's a catch up. We've had some, some knocks. One of the first one was APRA and their restrictions on lending. And the next one, of course, was COVID. So all we're doing right now is recovering to where we would have been anyway. So um, again, this shows you uh, across the nation what we're seeing. These are in percentages. The other ones were in dollar figures. 12% uh, across the board is what we are up on our previous high. And as I say, most of the time, we're talking about that previous high being um, being 2017, which is the last time we really got any kind of uh, significant uh, increase. Now, well, how's that translating to rents? Rents are up. In the month of June, we saw a 6.6% increase nationally in rents, and that's putting a lot of pressure on uh, the rental market, but also on house prices. And this just gives you a, a show there of the annual change in rents. Um, for the last 12 months through to the end of June across the major cities there. Um, Melbourne is obviously the lowest and that is really because they've got a massive oversupply in units and apartments. This is what I've been saying for many, many, many years now and it's really playing out in the figures and, it's, and the, the figures show that Melbourne is being... Um, uh, uh, the, the figures are much lower in Melbourne from a property perspective because of the oversupply of apartments, particularly in the city, but not only in the city. I've got some figures for that for you shortly. So this is the annual change in units. And look, Sydney, Melbourne oversupplied in apartments, Melbourne particularly oversupplied in apartments. And really, I don't think until we turn on the clock from an immigration perspective, not much is going to change from, a, from uh, for Melbourne. 
uh, Melbourne is going to continue to see that downturn there in apartments because they simply aren't taking up the apartment market um, as much as they are the housing market and, and you know desirable areas to live in my opinion. But that's that's I'm I'm anti I'm anti apartments anyway. Can't do anything with them. Hard harder to uh, to manufacture growth on. Don't have any land content. You've heard it all before. So when we look at this is from another source, this is actually the, the previous data was from CoreLogic. This is from Domain, and it shows you there the uh, the weekly rents for houses and how much they've gone up over a 12-month period. So nationally, we've gone up nearly six percent. Um, Melbourne has, hasn't gone up at all. Uh, Sydney's only gone up one point one point nine percent, and again. Same story, it's oversupply in apartments. But look at the rest. Brisbane sitting there at 12.5, Adelaide at 8.9, Perth at 21.6, but they were very low after the fallout in the mining industry. Canberra 10.5, Darwin similar story to WA 10.9, but that's because they started from a very low base with the downturn in the mining industry that's now picked up. Uh, Hobart's coming in at 10 and we average out at 5.9. When we look at Melbourne, now this is the housing market in Melbourne and you can see it's the inner, the inner Melbourne, inner east, inner south and a little bit there in the west that has gone into negative territory from a rental perspective. Um, and uh, you know, if you're living in any of those areas, you can see the areas there that have really picked up. The uh, southeast, 5% up. Um, uh, Morning Peninsula, 9.5% up. Uh, outer East, 4.5% up. So, you know, there's some encouraging figures there that see that things are turning. When you look at the units nationally, again, Sydney and Melbourne, it's the same story. Sydney and Melbourne are holding it down. In fact, they're holding it down so much in the apartment market that the national average in the apartment market is down 5.4%. But look at Perth. Uh, it's up at 188 um, Adelaide 9.4, Brisbane 5.3, uh, Canberra 6.4, Hobart 5.2, 3 I mean. So it's really only Melbourne at minus 12 and Sydney at minus 6 in the apartment market I'm talking about now, or units, uh, that is really starting to hold things back. You, you can see the story. I've, I've broken this down across the... Um, across the suburbs there um, and you can see how apartments not only in the city but right across really with the exception of only outer east and the morning peninsula that have uh, that have increased all the rest have gone down so when we look at vacancies that translates to the same story i'm afraid the apartment market in sydney and melbourne is holding everything back um, because of oversupply. Everywhere else the vacancies are ridiculously small. An average of 1.7, you've got Brisbane at 1.3, you've got Perth at 0.9, Adelaide at 0.6, Canberra at 0.7, Darwin at 0.4, Hobart at 0.4 and it's only the Sydney and Melbourne sitting at 2.8 and 3.5 vacancies which in the scheme of things isn't that bad, but it's certainly holding back the rest of the country. That is why this chart shows you from macro business that uh, the, uh, you know, the vacancy rates have, have come down so sharply because the rest of the country is carrying those areas. Now, a little bit of a truth bomb that I want to leave you with because I know with all of the, the, the recent breakout and everything else, we can get very easily triggered. Our emotions are high and we are inclined to lash out and particularly lash out at those that we love. 
So what I'm saying is, look, it's okay to get triggered, but it's what you do with it. You see, being triggered or having a, a, an emotional reaction to something is really just our training that we've had over our lifetime. You know, we've had experiences where things have happened and then something bad might have happened. We remember that. And then that triggers us next time to this uh, perhaps even irrational response from the, the, um, the thing that's actually happened. But if you take into account our past history and what's happened in the past, you can see why people react that way. So my advice here is to think like an engineer. I don't normally say that, <laughs> but think like an engineer because what you do then is you analyze and say, okay, so why am I feeling this way? Why am I having this reaction? You know, it is simply an accumulation of responses that you've learned over your lifetime. So let's look at that and see whether you can change that because one of the things that we have complete control over is how we choose to respond. And I remember sitting in a, um, a seminar years ago with the gorgeous Dr. Dr. Wayne Dyer. I loved him to pieces. And he, um, I was actually at his last seminar before he died and he came over to, uh, to, to Australia. And one of the things he said is he, he had an orange on his, on his desk and he threw it at somebody in the crowd. And he said, what's that? And he said, the, the person said, oh, it's an orange. So what's inside the orange? Orange juice. He said, that. so if you squeeze it, what do you get out? Orange juice. Okay, so if we squeeze you, what do you get out? And that's the thing. It's when we're under pressure that our real self comes out. Now, that's something we can change. We don't want to be under pressure and lash out at those we love and those that are surround us. So uh, think about the triggers and what's triggering you at the moment. Sit back, think like an engineer, and decide whether that's actually the response that you want to be having. Now, don't forget to book in for one of my free, absolutely free, 60-minute real estate breakthrough sessions with one of my advisors. The market is with you guys. We are playing catch-up. There will be more rises. You need to be part of it. And you need to be smart about it. You need to be intelligent about it. You need to be in a position where you might think you can't borrow at the moment. I, I question that. I'd like to get you in front of some of my guys to see whether you actually can. You might think that you can't get into a deal because you don't have any money. I question that. I'd like to get you in front of some of my guys to see whether that's actually the case. Um, you might think you could only do this or only do that. Well, I'll question that as well. Because the more you know about anything, the better results you're going to get. So this is an opportunity to, to really analyse your goals, analyse where you're at, analyse what you want to achieve in life, because these next few years are going to be phenomenal. And you need to be part of it and be part of it in the most efficient and maximised way you possibly can. So this is your first step. This is your action plan for the week. Book in with one of those appointments. There's only a few of them there. Um, my advisors will be, be there ready at the allotted time. You make sure you write it in your diary and you turn up as well because I know they're going to help you enormously. And I'll talk you through how we can help you achieve your goals. That's it from me this week. I hope you've enjoyed this week's update and I'll be back again next week to talk to you very, very soon. Bye now.